Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, podcast number 41. I'm your host, Brian. With me this evening, Kimberly. Hey, everybody. I'm Kimberly is uh, not in her usual recording place this evening, so we're going to excuse her audio quality. And Mac? Hello. There's no excuse for my audio quality. Well, there's no excuse for you, period. Hey, you stole my line. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Somebody had to say it, you know. And, of course, that was Ian. Good evening, everybody. Stole my line. <laughs> <laughs> How's everybody doing? Doing good, actually. I had a, actually a real good weekend. Um, I entered another film contest. I, I've been doing, for the listeners, I every so often get involved in some of these um, weekend film contests where I have two or three days to do a film. And this one was really cool because my son had a starring role in it. And so we're actually quite excited. Uh, we came up with a really good piece, and hopefully we'll win some awards for it. We'll see what happens in the next week. Well, very good. All right. Um, who's a, uh, do I hear a TV? Is that coming I from Kim? I was loading up links, and oh. the YouTube video got in there. That's you. It's me. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, well, this weekend, um, the IIG Colorado tested the great Bridini for paranormal powers. And uh, needless to say, he failed. Oh, no. I know. Can you we believe? had such high hopes. The great Bridini failed. I know. I, I, I'm, I was, I, I was as shocked as anybody. Um, but yeah, so the great Bridini could see things inside of boxes and envelopes, and he had discovered his skills by looking for tax refund checks inside of mailboxes. And uh, so he was, you know, pretty confident that he could see inside of these envelopes, and the envelopes in had a number in them from one to ten. And they were uh, presented to the great Bridini, and then they were, uh, and then they were put into the envelopes. They were shuffled pretty randomly, and then the, and then uh, they were presented to him one at a time. And uh, he, uh, he kind of did a Karnak the Magnificent type of thing, you know, and uh, and uh, he was uh, supposed to put a number on each one of them from one to ten. And we figured if the great Bridini, great Bridini, got more than seven in a row that he probably had paranormal powers. The great Bridini was, he got zero. He did worse than chance. <laughs> wow. I would think that, you'd think that he'd have a one in ten chance of being correct, at least if he used the same number every time. Well, yeah. Well, oh, exactly. If I use if the same number, but you couldn't do that. No repeating numbers. So, and that, so that was good. That was a good, um, good practice run for us to go through and, uh, and kind of do a challenge to present it. And so what we did is I uh, emailed the group um, as if I was, you know, an actual psychic that wanted to take the challenge. And then uh, so and the only person who was supposed to respond to me was um, was Rich Orman. And his job was to, you know, he was the point of contact. And then he worked, I think, probably just with Natur um, to come up with a protocol. And then, of course, you know, we agreed on the protocol and we went through with it. And I told him, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of time, so I couldn't have been as nitpicky um, with the protocol. Ultimately, I think the protocol was fine and fair, but I imagined if if I was an actual claimant that uh, I would have had many, many more um, complaints about now the protocol. Now, in the aftermath, did you throw a big fit and say, oh, you guys screwed up the testing, I know I really have my powers and walk well, out? In the, no, the what, what I... 
it was amazing. I got like three or four that were one number off. And I said, see, look at that. See, one number off. Every single time it was, it was, it was one number off. And so I took that as, as hits, you know, um, and, and you know, and, and claimed that we have to be as accurate as possible here. Right. As to how these go down. Right. So, but we, we I'd, I'd call them hits if you were within 10 of the correct number. Exactly. Right. So I, uh, yeah, worse than chance. But it was good. We, and afterwards, we talked. We talked through what we did and what we did wrong, and things that we could do better. And so we're we're gonna get a um, we're gonna do a couple more test protocols. I'm sure. Um, we're working on another one, and we'll go from there. So that was fun. But see, you messed up the testing because you didn't actually believe in your abilities. So you messed up the protocol completely. That's true. I mean, I wasn't an actual claimant because there's a problem that I don't think anybody has these powers. So from that respect, yes, I, I I messed up the protocol from the beginning, and hence why I didn't even get a chance. Did you uh, have a good crowd? It was okay. Um, about ten of us. Good. And then afterwards, we went over to the tilted kilt uh, and had a drinking skeptically, and that was a lot of awesome. fun. Did you try again when you were inebriated? Because yeah. apparently, one of the tests that the IIG did, the guy did perform better when he was. Hammered? Uh, I don't think so. I think that they they came the the two people who were doing the test came in hammered, and they weren't sure quite what to do about it. They kind of thought, well, maybe this is how they do it, and of course they did terribly. They got they got zero right. Um, ah, and okay. but that was one of the things that that they learned is that they need that that kind of stuff needs to be spelled out. You know that when pe- that when the person comes into the test, you know that they need to uh, basically they they came in. Ready to fail anyway. You know, oh, we, we couldn't do it. We were drunk. <laughs> what? I still think you should have retested when you were inebriated. I, I think that would be good. We could do that. Okay. But you have to come up with an entirely new test protocol this time and include the bar trip in the test protocol. I think that's a good plan. Yeah. Sure. All right. It worked out well. So we went uh, this week. Um, the, the Paranormal Research Forum is a group in town. Who once a month they they put on a uh, they bring somebody in to talk, and we went and saw Chris Moon there at one time, and this right. week we went to see a, a couple of um, hypnotherapists that claimed uh, well they, they're 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 doing past life regression, uh, Paul Robbins and uh, Greg McHugh McHugh. That's what it looks like. And so they were uh, they were they came to speak to us, and before I start, you uh you know Ian and Mac you were there too. We so, so, um, why don't you start, Mac, and, and tell us, tell, tell us what you thought what, about the, you know, I mean, okay. first of all, I mean, what, what did you think about how, how it started? You know, the, the, the introduction and everything. Cause there were some key things that, um, that Rick, who's the guy who puts this on, he said some very interesting things that, uh, uh, that I caught while he was giving his talk that, that I thought were very telling of kind of where they're coming from in general. Okay. You know what I'm referring um, to? Not right offhand. Go ahead and say okay, what you're. So, go ahead and say what you're thinking the, about from the introduction. Yeah. So the one thing in the in the introduction is he talked about how basically science can't you know can't can't prove these things and how science is, or or it's slow to catch up. Right. And that, that and that basically okay, I know what you're talking about. Right. Then. He was talking about the fact he he basically said that belief is there and science catches up like. Like a couple hundred years later, is what he uh, is what he threw out there. He was yeah. talking about the fact that 
initially people had the belief that the world was round and right. science couldn't prove it until such and such a time. And then he talked about the fact that... Of course, he ignored the fact that the reason science couldn't prove it is because belief was stopping science from being able to prove it. Well, remember, yeah, the, you know, the world being flat is a terrible one because the Greeks had figured that out. Yeah. Okay, and and so... The, the main reason it, it stayed for so long was belief was getting in the way because people didn't want to believe it otherwise. That there was actually a, a good body of belief saying, no, we're not going to change our beliefs. And so... You know, it's a poor example of what he was trying to make. Right, but the the point he wants to make is that, boy, you know, people know all this stuff long before science science figures it out. Right. And I think he, I mean, they they totally miss the purpose of the scientific method when they do this. Mm-hmm. That you know, having substantial evidence is not con, uh, contrary and or uh, to the contrary of what of what people's beliefs necessarily. But it's interesting. How many beliefs do people have? That we know are just bunk, right? Right, and well, people have false beliefs all the time. Let's let's say how many beliefs? How many beliefs do people have that we have no scientific evidence of proof for? Let's say that. Okay, I mean, but we know that. Think about how many. If you go out and you talk to somebody on the street, I'm trying to think of an example. You're going to find that they believe things that are like old wives' tales, like right. um, putting butter on burns would be a good one. Yeah, this is a bad idea. But this was an old wives' tale that was around for a, a long time that I used to hear a lot. Well, the famous one that's still around is that going out in the cold gives you a cold. Right. It, or or you, you shouldn't swim with a full stomach. You shouldn't swim right after eating. That's not a bad good idea to go swimming full. I actually, but in, at same thing, it's not as bad as a you know. What what's going to happen? I mean, really. Well, doing exercises on a full stomach does cramp you up. It could, it's, potentially. But it, it's not like, it, it's not as serious as they made it out to be. It's, yeah, it's not life-threatening. It's not, not even right. close. And I'll bet most people probably wouldn't even be affected by it. There's some people maybe with weaker stomachs that that, that might be an issue for. I, uh, well, although the interesting thing is looking at some of the stuff we just talked about, there's almost some basis for it. Okay, the butter on burns. What's the basis? I, yeah, that, that I don't know. I I, I don't know where yeah. that came from. Yeah. That makes makes a burn taste better. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I, I think there's a, a lot of these kind of beliefs, and then there's ones you know where, but they would claim that a belief in God is the same thing, even though there's no evidence for it, and everything they prevent is present is circumstantial, and they wanted to present contextual evidence as as being evidence for or proof. You know, for the existence of God, but which isn't substantial for science. So, because right. their evidence that they present isn't substantial enough to to make a scientific claim, they have to take the road of a of a beating up science. They have to they have to attack science for not um, for being not behind acknowledging them. what they believe. Right. So you, th- that kind of sets the whole mood for for the evening for me. Because now we know that they don't care about proof and about establishing evidence. That, that, that That's not part of what they think is important. Right. Where, for me, that's that's primary. So we, we've already got, um, you know, we've already got, well, we're, we're already set up on two sides of the issue. So can I just ask real quick, what do you think a group like this, like Charter, so what's their thinking? They they can't be sitting around going, let's just miss every bit of evidence. 
do you think they think about this? No, they they don't require evidence. You know, and, and I I, I can uh, I I would use my mother as an example. She doesn't require evidence for her beliefs. This is what she believes. Well, why do you believe that? Well, let's see. You know, I just think that's true. Or I um, you know, I I was told that um, you know, during meditation, you know, a voice came to me, and and told me this. So you're you're hearing voices that you can. No, I require uh, evidence. I require evidence of your mother. Um, that sounds. Good. I'm just saying. You've met my mother. <laughs> yeah, but I need more evidence than that. Oh, oh, okay. And that's fine. That's that's anecdotal. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Biologically, you know, I have to have a mother. Evolution says so. Yeah. I can substantiate that with, with fact, you know, and, uh, and so, but this woman that I'm presenting as my mother, yes, I, I have not, I, I have not provided sufficient DNA evidence, perhaps, that that is true. All right. Well, anyway, All let's right. go okay. ahead and right. talk okay. about the, uh, let's go ahead and get back into the, Get back into the whole past life regression thing. Okay, good. Um, now I threw a, during the break. I threw a question at the at the lady because I was curious to see if see what kind of an answer I was going to get. Well, let, let's get to that first. I mean, first, what what were they presenting to us? Well, they were presenting to us essentially the theory that Hypothesis. they could resolve conflicts that came from a person's past life through taking them hypnotically into that past life and thereby resolve conflicts that exist in this life because of what happened in a past life. Right. So one so what they're one of the things that they were uh stressing to us is that our our souls live a very long time and we have all of these lives uh past lives, future lives and parallel lives. Some of these things can be going on all at the same time. And because according to them, time is not linear. Well, yeah, that was an interesting statement. Well, you know, of course, where they get that from. Was that in the um, what's it called? And that that comes from quantum theory, because at the exactly quantum physics, because at the quantum level, time can go both ways. That that's what the theory says, and and I'm quoting Victor Stanger when I say that. So and uh, and. How, okay. Well, once more, how long did it take them before they brought up quantum physics? Twenty-five minutes into the into their into their talk, they brought up quantum physics. Um, but so basically, the night was a whole bunch of anecdotes that they had that they were presenting of past life regressions that they have done, and of course, they're they're presenting these things as fact. There, there's no well, question to them that that these things are true and that they've happened. It's, it was well, certainly my impression. One of the big similarities I saw between this and the Christopher Moon thing was the need to try and throw everything into it. I mean, they had angels and the shadow people and aliens and all this other stuff well, mixed in at once. To, to be fair, the, the shadow people, they didn't bring up the shadow people. That was an audience member, and they really didn't have an answer for that. No, remember, um, one of the questions, and this question pissed me off the answer to it, was okay. um, how do you deal with mental illness? Okay, now that was different. It was one from our group, and the reply about mental illness was that these are people that have um, the equivalent of shadow people affecting them. No, you know what? Though I don't, I don't mental- think that's true. I, I know that that's how you remember that's- it, but I asked Misty about that, and she basically and and she got the same thing I did. That basically they were saying that this all comes from past lives. I don't remember no, I, them I, saying I anything about that. evil spirits. I don't remember that at all. 
I very much remember that. That's one of the things that pissed me off is they were blaming mental illness on the fact that you have some sort of dark spirit in your own See, head. And okay. I just got that they were blaming it on issues from your past lives. Mac, what, what do you remember? What, what did you I remember that? that they kind of glossed over the mental illness part of right. it. And they said, well, you know, we, we do what was appropriate. And then they talked about, they talked about it coming from past lives. I don't remember anything about dark forces in there, but. Yeah, I don't. You know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff in there too. We took notes on a lot of things, but I don't, I can't say that I remember every single word. It's possible that this is something that Ian caught that the rest of us did not. Yeah, and that, that could be true. I I asked Misty about the question later because she asked the question, how do you tell if these people are just mentally ill? And their response basically was, I thought, a denial of mental illness, saying that these are things that happened in the past. Now, one of the problems is is that these people um, – in this case, we had one certified psychotherapist. Greg is a psychotherapist, but um, Paula is not, and she's a, she's a, um, a hypnotherapist. She has a, has a certification in that and a spiritual uh, something or other. I forget how – I looked at her, her her bio, that how she describes herself. And in her case, if she came across somebody that was mentally ill, the, uh, she is required by law to immediately refer them to somebody who's qualified to handle that. So by denying the existence, they in handling it the way that they handled the question – I think that that puts them into a, a legal gray area um, where they could get in trouble potentially for that. Dealing with with mental illness is something that has to be done properly. And some some mental illness is organic. Some is chemical in nature. And they can swallow it all up by saying that, well, if you've got a chemical in, Ill, mental illness or if you've got a mental illness in this life, it's because your soul chose it. Because of something from a past life. Right, and that's what they're going to do. I don't think that will hold up in court, though. Now, the other thing that pissed me off, the other one, I I told you guys about this, is um, they talked about abuse. Yeah, let's go ahead and address that right now. What they said was that if you're abused in your past life, that would um, make you likely to accept abuse in your present life. Yeah, that was... Uh, No, actually... Actually, they said no. That that's right. They said that if if you have a child who's abused in this life, it may be because they needed that to balance out because they because hurt they a child abused. because they hurt a child in a past life. Because that was what abused. I heard. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. So they, now they, they're, they're in the past life. So this is fine. The fact that they're being abused, yeah, that's what it sounded like they were saying. It's fine that they're being abused now because that makes up for um, the mistakes they made in the past life. And it's like, if you ever told an abused person that, uh, do you think that would actually help them? No, and that's blaming the victim. I mean, that's, yeah. that's it ridiculous. Does, it does come across an awful lot like blaming the victim. Yeah. On the did other hand, maybe... That's what came up. Was They asked about karma. Someone yeah. asked, do you believe in karma? And that's, that's what their response was. That, um, oh yes, because if you if you were abuser in the, a past life, you're going to be abused in this life. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. And I'm sitting here thinking, I guess they're saying that if they just address the abuse in a past life and and clear that away, that the person is magically not going to be abused anymore in this life. Because they did say that if they address things and cleared them up in a past life, that all your traumas from this life would be magically wiped away. Not only yeah. that, I don't think they actually use the word magically, but <laughs> no. 
Well, the logic no, was no, magic because no. uh, what they were saying was if we heal you in a past life hundreds of years ago, that heal somehow that magically will heal you in all lives up to date. At which point, why would you have had the problems to begin with? Well, not only that, they made the claim later that the only way to heal in this life is to go into past lives. Right. I think I remember that. Uh, now, you're talking well, temporal paradox, Mr. Doctor Who fan. Yeah, I was about to say, and I wasn't at this thing. They don't believe you're actually going back in time. You're just... No, time is, time is not linear. Whatever they do okay. now affects everything well, because there is no time. Okay, wait, yeah. hold on. It is possible for you to have two lives going at the same time. They call this parallel lives. So it is possible for you to go back and look at a, a, a look at another life that's happening at the exact same time in the past. And this is where the whole paradox thing comes in. So what? So now our pat what we do in the past can't affect our present? I mean what what's going on? I, I don't even know how they would justify that. I always thought it was more like you know how like they have the, the, the classic ghost story where you're trying to help, you know, the spirit come to terms with what happened, but this is kind of an interesting thing. So if you drowned in a past life Right. Well, if you somehow get that, you will no longer have a a, a fear of water, or you know something yeah, like that. That's I the got idea. the basic impression that um they they had they, okay. My general impression was that it got more confusing the further they went. The more they talked, the less sense it made. <laughs> yes. I think the reason for that is the more they talked, the more they had to try and make this stuff that didn't work work, and the more they tried to make it work, the less they could. And so what you do is, as you go further out from the initial idea, it makes less and less sense because as they hit the new things, oh, well, time's no longer linear, and so you're living the parallel life. So if you heal this one parallel life that feels like it's the past, but it's not the past, it's going to affect the present life, which also will affect the future life, which you can actually travel into your future life as well as your past, and it's all... You know, seriously, this is how much sense it started to yeah, make. Yeah, it was time. very circular. But now, and if you and if you go to sleep and you're doing cocaine and you wake up and you're doing cocaine, that's right. If you can't fall asleep because you're doing cocaine in your sleep, and, and you can't fall asleep because you're doing cocaine in your sleep, and you wake up and you're doing cocaine, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I I asked the question during the break of the uh, lady who's doing Paula. I asked the question of her: Have they ever encountered? past lives that were not of a human species, she said yes, didn't elaborate. I said, have they ever encountered past lives that were not on this world? She said yes, again, didn't really elaborate. Well, they had, but they had already um, addressed she said, that. Actually, she hinted that she had existed in another dimension and a different life. Yeah, they said they they said that right from the beginning. I mean, that was one of Hold the first on, things that they covered, my, Let me finish my point here. Okay. Um, Chill your jets. I, it would seem to me in a universe of this size that if souls migrate, that they'd migrate everywhere. They wouldn't just stay on Earth. So it seems more likely to my own personal sense of logic that if the soul exists, that it's been a lot of different places. But it seemed like lives that are on Earth and happening to humans are the greatest percentage of what these stories are. You know, they were probably. 10 people in the audience who'd been Napoleon. But I'm guessing at that. Nobody actually said they were Napoleon. Well, no, I can't no, no. support that. According to them, most people don't have um, past lives like that. That's what they actually said. No, what he said was, I don't really have clients who've been famous, mostly infamous. Right. So he's talking about people who were not 
known for doing good things, but we're known for doing terrible things instead. Or that was the impression that I got from what he said. And I don't know if that was mere titillation or if that's been his experience. I don't know. They, they um, brought up other worlds a lot, though. That was one of the, I mean, they were, they repeatedly said other worlds, you know, you, other lives and other worlds and other dimensions. But the thing that's interesting is that they're all very human. Uh, their, well, their descriptions. Well, they, they did mention the animal one after the break, because, um, what's your face? Richard. Uh, no, Rick asked that question. Okay, yeah. and my my main thought was I, I I wanted to explore it more and say okay within those past lives do you have recorded something because I want to hear and see whether or not it really is different from humans because we know that animals don't see the same way we do their senses wouldn't work the same way we do so the idea of having a past life of a different species the memories wouldn't be any you'd expect the memories to be completely inhuman they would be something you'd have a very difficult time interpreting as a human. Yeah, right. so I, I'd be more interested to see, it, um, just you know, get get the idea of how made up they are by looking at. Okay, I'm a dog now. I, I see my master coming for me, and have you know, I, I bet anything they sound just like what a person would turn a cartoon dog into. But they're not okay, now friends. let's not use the term "how made up they are" because that presupposes that these are. Be, how made you up have, they are to be? You're presupposing that. There is that there is evidence that they are actually made up. Okay, that's okay. And let's not let's yeah. not presuppose that. Let's instead say that there's no evidence that these fa- these past lives are anything more than a vivid dream or a vivid memory or even even a fiction. That uh, you know, you asked the question, Brian. Well, wait. About... Don't, let's not get to my question yet. Okay. Let Let's talk about Baxter's. Because Baxter's was interesting too, and this is one of the where where they pull out one of their big outs um, to all of this. Um, Baxter, I don't think Baxter's was as interesting as yours. Well, that's okay, but it brought up a, but it brought up a good point. Yes, it's not as interesting as mine, um, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine got quite the You're reaction. You're way more interesting than Baxter. No, 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 not, that's not true. But Baxter, <laughs> I, Baxter wanted to know what they do about these people who fixate on the details, um, and he says, "Well," and and their response to that was, "Well, that doesn't happen." It was just a flat-out denial that people don't fixate well, on. Well, yeah. the, first, the first thing was they did say that the details weren't important, and that's right. what sponsored Baxter's question in the right. first place. So, But they, they basically said, ultimately, that the, it doesn't, the, the details don't matter and the facts don't matter. It's the healing that matters. So this was kind of the, one of their big outs that, ultimately, whether any of this is true doesn't really matter if we can heal someone. Right. So that, that was a big yeah. part of. Well, and it's it's also saying that it doesn't matter if the lives are fictional. It doesn't matter if it's just a vivid dream. The important thing is the emotion you experience around the past life that you're being regressed into, whether it's real or not, and that's what they're trying to heal you from. Right. The other big out that they gave was um, that you know you can only comprehend so much. You can't comprehend everything that the soul has been, you know, been through. So if you don't get everything, that's okay. If you don't, and it's like if you don't get what we're talking about, it's okay because you can't comprehend everything that this, you know, that the soul knows. So even if you don't think you have parallel lives, it's okay because you can't uh, comprehend it right now. The other question that the they kind of glossed over that one of the people in the group asked was not one of the people in our skeptics group, but one of the people in their audience. Um, she asked, do you ask the higher self, basically meaning the soul, do you ask the higher self 
what it wants to work on, and they kind of glossed over it and said, "Well, the soul goes wherever it's going to go." Right. Yeah. Right. You and I thought they kind of, I thought they kind of blew her off, and I was kind of sad for that. Yeah. Well, that that was pretty common. I listened to a um, um, what's the guy? Something Nelson, um, who does past life regression stuff, and he he talked about how. I don't know. Yeah, they they didn't have they don't have good answers for why you go to certain places. Yeah, well, um, in between lives, you're supposed to be in this perfect place with go. no words, right. And all this other stuff. And I'm like, why would you leave that? That's the, the <laughs> life within the life. That's okay. That was really interesting. Yeah, they they call it the inner life or the life yeah, within the life. Why you or want the second that. life? <laughs> the second life. No, the, they this, didn't call it second life. Yeah, no, it was interesting because the gentleman I listened to online today, he talked about it being a place of they they have a lot of fun. It's not all about reviewing your past lives and everything, but that's where you decide what what you're going to do in your next life, and that's where you you know and you review uh, lessons that you need to work on, and you can either work on them in the inner life or you can choose to work on them in your next life, and that's where you choose your parents and you choose your next body and. And all, and you know, and how that's all going to work out, and your and where you choose, certain, you're going to be an abused child, and right, so on exactly. and so forth. Yeah, that's where you choose to, to be the abuser hoot. or the abused. Yeah, that that's pretty. It, that's pretty scary, actually. And they say, and one of the things they say is that well, some people are presented with only a couple choices, and some are presented with more. But everybody's always happy about the choices that they're presented with. They never have problems with it. <laughs> Of course. So I, 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 the reason I want to hold off on my question because I think that that's going to move us into talking about general hypnosis anyway. Okay. Because because that's because that's kind of where you know what I, I focused on this week um, because of the because of the question I asked. I asked them um, how how they how. Um, well, if you want to hold off on your question for no, just no. a second, Brian. Okay, that's fine. Go ahead. Um, I put a link in here that I think actually kind of addresses the thing that I was talking about, about whether these lives are past lives or if they're vivid dreams or if they're fictional or anything else. What I found was I found a reference to the Bridie Murphy case, which is what started this whole past life thing off in the first place. This is, this is the big breaker. This is the big, this is the big case. And the Bridie Murphy case, um, in 1952, Virginia Ty of Pueblo, Colorado, was hypnotized, came out speaking in an Irish brogue, and claimed she was Bridie Murphy, a 19th century woman from Cork, Ireland. And he encouraged past life regression. The, the hypnotist encouraged past life regression, and his subject cooperated. He hypnotized her many times. While under hypnosis, she sang Irish songs, told Irish stories, and gave her birthday to 1798, described her childhood in a Protestant family in the city of Cork, etc., etc. All this incredible detail. And uh, they went, they, newspapers sent reporters to Ireland to investigate. They didn't find any records of Bridie Murphy. Right. However, the Chicago American found Bridie Murphy Corkell in Wisconsin in the 20th century. And she lived in the house across the street from where Virginia Ty grew up. What she was recalling was not previous life memories, but instead memories from her childhood and this person that inspired her in her childhood. Probably with a little bit of coaching to exaggerate a little bit as well. Probably. Yeah. So 
so the, the question that I asked was, how do you as the hypnotherapist guard against the implantation of false memories during uh, while these people are in a suggestive state? The response I got from Paula was, if that's what you think hypnosis is, you're wrong and you need to do your research. And that's where Baxter got upset and said, that's exactly what hypnosis is and walked out. <laughs> and Baxter is, let's say it. He's a licensed hypnotherapist. He is. He is a, he, him and Brian are both licensed hypnotherapists. And one, I and, did not know that. Yes. That's neat. Yeah. Well, I mean, they when they were doing their research and everything, I mean, they've gone out and got certified in these things, you know, um, which I, I think that, that would be a neat thing to do. Um, it, well, I they also them, tried to claim that they don't really do hypnosis. Right. That, that's that's when they, that's interesting because they start out claiming that, you know, that they do hypnosis because Paula charges $25 for a consultation and then and then. And then, and that includes no hypnosis. And then you come back for a, to do hypnosis. And I, I couldn't tell what they were, what they were, they were weaseling is what was going on. And basically they said there's no way for, for them to implant memories doing what they're doing. But yet they claimed to be doing hypnosis until that moment. Right. And then they, and, but then they couldn't really give a definition. Well, they didn't like what I said hypnosis was, but they didn't give a definition. And then they said that's not what they're doing. I think when they said what they're, what they're not doing, they're, I don't know. I don't, well, the I, question, I, the question you asked them was how do they guard against implanted memories? Right. How, in their, in their clients while they have them in a suggestible state. And that's when she, you know, bit your head off. Right. That's when she bit my head off. So I asked Brian and Baxter afterwards, you know, what, okay, what is hypnosis? Well, the other, there, there are a couple names for, yeah, you know, there's hypnosis, hypnotherapy, or hypnotic suggestion. And as I did my research to be sure that I did have a good idea of what I was talking about, every site that you go to talks about how when people are in these trance, trance states, um, that they are highly suggestible, extremely suggestible. When, when they're in, when you're in a hypnotic, uh, hypnotic trance. And there, there's some interesting, um, it used to be they thought that people were, they were actually putting them into a sleep state. We know now that that is not what's happening. Um, but hypnosis does come from the Greek word meaning sleep. Um, so we know now that that's not what's happening. Uh, they don't exactly know what all is happening during, uh, hypnosis, but we all, but we do know that the more suggestible the person is, the better hypnosis works on them. So not everybody is, is as susceptible to what's going on here. And the other thing is I, that, and that was one of the key things that people were talking about when they were talking about past life regression is that the people needed to be, um, highly susceptible to, um, to hypnosis for this to work at all. So that, so it is a very small percentage of people, I think, that are getting these past life regressions and they're already kind of primed and, and susceptible to it. It, it does sound like I, I listened to a, um, to a couple of past life regressions. Um, there's, they're on YouTube and you can go and you can go and listen to these sessions. The questions are, are very leading, um, that they're asking. They're, a I mean, they're asking these people from a point of view, uh, that they already have a belief. And so they're, they're leading these people through these memories, right? Now, definitely the person is coming up with all this stuff, but one of the things they say about hypnosis is that you, that the conscious mind is being set aside and you're talking to the, the subconscious. And so the, you, so the subconscious is what's coming up with these memories, 
or if they, what they might be. But I, I am strongly leaning towards, you know, that, that they are being guided to come up with these memories. When you listen to these leading questions and, it, you know, we know that memory implantation is possible because we've had several cases where in the eighties, women were, um, were hypnotized looking for, um, uh, looking for memories. And these therapists thought that they had been abused. And of course, they come up with, with, um, their fathers abused them. And some, some people were convicted, um, uh, of this. Um, many of them were later overturned based on these. And the AMA, um, has come out against, um, these kinds of, um, uh, they, they won't use hypnosis for memory anymore. Um, they said that actually memories that come from hypnosis are, are, are far less reliable than memories that come from non-hypnotized um, non people. So if that's the case, if you're, if, if, you know, the AMA has done testing on this and I couldn't get the paper, you have to, I can only get the abstract. Um, um, I, so I'd like to get the paper if I can, uh, so if anybody has a subscription to the, uh, uh, to this AMA magazine, uh, I'd like to have that PDF. Um, but they, they, they're not legal in court anymore. And in these regressed memories have been shown to be unreliable. So why would I expect a, a memory about a past life to be any more reliable than, um, repressed memories from childhood? There's no reason to. There's no reason to. I really, I, and the other, the other thing that I, I was really thinking about is like, okay, what if somebody comes up with information from a past life that nobody knew? Well, how do you verify it? And if you can verify it and the information's out there, how do you know that they didn't know that before they went under? So you're kind of stuck in a loop there as far as actually, you know, saying, yes, this person had a past life because they, they did evoke that, uh, this person that they had, uh, this person they'd done a session on had memories of a very, very sharp nature of this stone in Ireland with a particular inscription on it, and they were perfectly able to describe the inscription. Mm -hmm. But there's no way to know that they didn't just have a, have a memory of that from, because they found this stone on a Google search. Right. They found the stone and cited that as proof. Was it the Blarney stone? the stone exists. No, this is oh, not the Blarney okay. stone. This is just some stone with an inscription on oh, okay. it. But they found it, and they said that's proof of the past life. Well, to me, that's proof that they probably had seen the stone somewhere before, and that memory came up under hypnosis. I would tend to agree with that. So, it was but hard. I do want to—I do want to bring up a point here. After you left, you know, after she was rude to your question, mm -hmm. I asked her why she had been so rude to your question, and she said that uh, she'd had a past life where somebody asked her a question like that, and she was going to give herself a session to deal with that. Okay, good. <laughs> no, I, I actually I made that up. I I didn't actually ask her about how rude about why she was rude to your question. I can't support that. <laughs> but I figure, you know, going by their theory that it must have been a trauma in a past life. That's why. That's why she was mean to you. Well, there you go. So, yeah, I guess um I found a statistic that said 10% of people are highly hypnotizable or yeah. Suggestible yeah. So it's a, it's a small percent that are, that are going to be highly susceptible to this. And it's a scale. And there's a, um, there is, um, Princeton, no, Stanford has a, a questionnaire 
um, that is supposed to help you establish it. It's 12 questions that are supposed to help you establish how susceptible you are um, to these. And I and I read through that briefly. Um, it's basically, a, it looks like a hypnosis script. And it says that if, if the person, like, gets to, like, through three of these or something and you don't get any hits, that just, that, that person's not going to work. Not a good test subject. Okay. So that was a little interesting. So and if they go, if they, at the first question, they go immediately into a hypnotic state, they're probably going to find a past life. Or, well, that, I guess that, I think that depends on the therapist. <laughs> uh. Cause they might, they might just simply find out that they were abused. They, they could just find out they were abused. You know, the problem is that, because when somebody is in a, a highly suggestible state, it's difficult to guard against um, leading the witness. I'm not sure. I, you know that I, I wish I could have gotten an honest answer to how hypnotherapists are guarding against memory implantation. A lot of hypnotherapists aren't doing these kinds of regressed memory things, and they're doing things for for pain, um, which I think that hypnosis might be good for if you're if, if you're if you're um, if you are hypnotizable enough that um, dealing with pain, you know, uh, might be uh, hypnosis might work. I mean, it, it's it's compared a lot to placebo, um, which is fine because I think that there are times when hypnosis can in- improve the quality of people's lives. I don't think that looking for memories and past lives are, are necessarily going are going to accomplish that. Some people may get healing from um, you know looking back and and. Seeing something in a past life that that can heal them now, I mean that's certainly possible. I just think it's unethical to tell these people that these memories are real. If they help them to deal with the current situation, I, I guess I, I I don't have a huge problem with that piece of it. It's telling these people that they actually were at these other places in time in different worlds and stuff like that that I think is kind of eth- ethically questionable. Agreed. Yeah. Are we ready to move on to some lighter stuff? Are you sure? I could talk about hypnosis a little longer. Yeah, I, I, I actually could ask a couple of yeah, things. Because I, I hear what you're saying there. And I think, you know, if it was used as a tool of let's deal with, you know, again, I've, I've heard it used in terms of, say, curing phobia, okay? And so if you use it as an analogy, let's, let's examine using our imagination some ways as to why you have this something. And to your point, just, you know, honestly saying we're just using relaxation techniques for getting to places that you're normally not comfortable talking about, but we'll use this method to get there. Mm-hmm. I, I think it could be very valuable. I mean, any any way you attack the problem, right, that's not a big deal as long as you're open about it. Okay. Uh, and, you know, so saying like, okay, let's imagine that in a past life, you know, we'll just play past life for a second, you drowned. You know, how do you feel about that? It, it could and again, I'm sure that's what you heard there was people with anecdotal evidence of this happened to me and it helped me. I know it works. Well, and you do hear a lot of that. And I, I think that you know, the other thing you hear is a lot of people have their own theories about the inner life. We heard a lot of that. Um, a lot of life after death theories and stuff like that. A lot of these people, I think, are scared of death. And I think that that motivates a lot of these. Um, right. A lot of this. I, as a tool, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with it, you know. Um, yeah, I, 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 I can't, I, I can't say, ooh, that's, you know, that's wrong, because um, I don't think it is. I, I think, but when you're, but when you're looking for repressed memories, particularly because we've seen harm from it, um, I, I think that I think you're, you're walking on some. You shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be doing that. Right. It's. I think it comes to the same thing we've talked about on this before. 
situations. You know, the, the, the woo stuff, like, you know, tarot card readings and stuff like that, where you're basically just spending time with someone, you're talking about things, you're picking up on, you know, subtle or even unconscious cues about things, might help somebody. They might feel better about things, having had someone, one, pay attention to them, two, have a chance to someone you know, hearing them, having their chance to speak and stuff. I think all that kind of stuff can be very valuable to the human psyche. I do too. I'm with you though that yeah. putting 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 the mysticism on it frankly ruins it, you know? Right. But I guess that's how some people take the pill, you know? That's the sugar. Yeah. Well you know what? I, I've seen um and I guess they're anecdotes, but I would say that I've seen people get help from tarot readers and psychics. I have seen this. I've seen just as much harm, though. I've seen people give terrible advice to people. I've seen, you know, and I think that, so I think that there's always a line. Things can be done that are helpful and things can be done that are harmful. But the other thing is, I, I think you kind of got to watch out for, I want to, I want to say addiction. Um, and I, you see this with the psychic line that people keep calling back, trying to get a, trying to get the answer that they're looking for, trying to get somebody to, to tell them what they want to hear, and they spend thousands of dollars trying to do this, um, looking for somebody to um, to say, yes, you're okay, you will be fine. And right, to validate them. Yeah, they're looking, exactly, that's what I'm looking, they're looking for validation. And I think, and, I, and I'm afraid that the same thing can happen here, is that people keep going back to the hypnotherapist, getting the past life regressions, looking for validation in their current life. And if you listen to these people, that's the only way you can get that validation. That's the only way you can heal is to go into your past lives. I thought that was particularly scary. The only way to heal yeah. in the current life is to go into a past life. Wow, really? That was what they said. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I was floored by that right there. Well, I, I, I yeah, that's, uh, that's messed up. <laughs> Has anybody here tried ever tried to be hypnotized? I, I haven't, and now I think I need to. I I was witness to a group um, hypnotic thing at the Renaissance Festival. Oh one yeah, year. but that's stage hypnosis. That's it, you know, that's pure pressure hypnosis. Some people were affected by it. I just was like, okay, be, something's happening. If you say so. That, yeah. That's closest I've ever been. Is that stage hypnosis stuff where you're like, okay, people actually do respond to this. How? Yeah, well, it's, it's group. Yeah. It's following the group when you see a lot of that kind of stuff. Well, everybody else is doing it, and. And, well, the the group wants to be followed. We've talked right. about this before. Well, but the interesting thing about that kind of stuff, too, is that it gives people permission to act in a way that they wouldn't normally act. It's like, oh, I was hypnotized. And so, you know, and that's the only reason I thought my shoe was a dog. So, I don't know. There, there's, you know, that can be fun, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think, again, it can be fun. I think it could even, in the right context, be kind of therapeutic. I've tried hypnosis. I, I, okay. I tried it for weight loss and, and to stop smoking. And I just simply could never go under. I mean, I went with like a, you know, the quote unquote trained professional and I kind of had Ian's reaction. I was just like, uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not in this. I'm not here, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, you see, I, you do watch. I love every year I go to the Renaissance Festival. Uh, the hypnotist show is is the one show I will one hundred percent not miss, and I, I I love it. I love watching that stuff. But I use at the same time I'm not I'm not putting a whole lot of you know extra on it. Right, just taking it for what it is. It's very similar. I, I don't know. I I tried NLP one time, and that's kind of a uh, you know suggestion type of thing and visualization type of thing. Um, and I think that they kind of I don't know. I I want to look in more into NLP because it, it's it seems like the same kind of you know. It, 
um, visualization type of things to try and accomplish stuff almost so similar. All right. Let's let let uh, are, are we ready to move on? I think so. All right. Let's t- now this is already wrong. The title is already bad. Underwater UFO. You cannot have an underwater UFO. Let's try to produce. Okay. You want to talk about the underwater UFO? Yeah, please. Basically, I just thought this was interesting. Um Swedish treasure hunters found a 60-foot disk sunk into the bottom of the ocean with what appears to be a 985-foot-long impact track leading up to it. Um, and yes, it is shaped like the Millennium Falcon. Yes. Yes, it is It is it shaped is. like the Millennium Falcon. Um, now, Sean, you missed our discussion last um, time about this just because uh, me and Eric were going off about the name being so inaccurate. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um. How is it a UFO? No one has ever witnessed this thing flying. It's a U.S. unidentified sunken object. I'll buy unidentified sunken object right off the bat. We don't even know that it's an object. It could be a rock. That's accurate. Hmm. But it's still a sunken object. Okay. But now the other thing um, that I actually, one of the reasons I made sure we pulled this from the last time, because this was one we were supposed to go over last time, but didn't because of time frame, is... The fact that this is another one of those things that really screws up by saying, oh, this is an alien thing, we're going to call it a UFO. UFO does not mean alien. Right. There are unidentified flying objects out there. That does not mean they're spaceships of any kind. That means someone saw them and couldn't identify what they were. That's all it means. And so that's one reason why I really like this one, because it shows such a huge misuse of the term. Because it's it's a sunken thing underwater. Let's call it an unidentified flying object because we think it might be alien. Right. That's, Nothing yeah. made sense with that. You know how how much how fast would this thing have to have been going to hit the water and to still leave a nine hundred eighty five foot long track on the surf on the ocean floor at, at that deep a level. And how much damage and how much water would that have had to vaporize? You're assuming that that it is. No, no. I'm asking. I'm not assuming that anything. I'm asking how this could have happened and left a 985 foot crater or a 985 foot impact path without leaving a lot more evidence elsewhere or without breaking up. Oh, okay. That's well. And is impact track? um, I mean. There's other stuff that they're seeing. They're ascribing it. It must have been an impact track. But there yeah. be another explanation? Well, but there could be any number of other explanations. Right. And, and that's the other thing that this article is good about is it shows that automatically these they're looking and saying, oh, this is what it must be. They're not. It's not going more into depth about the other possibility. It is really staying kind of vague on, oh, well, wouldn't it be, let, let's just focus on it being an alien spacecraft. And that's really it. But here's so, my question. Does anybody know how accurate sonar is for isn't it more of just an impression of what's down there? I mean, you can't get a very accurate picture with sonar. You get you? a shape. A shape. And our our sh- our shape that we can get is far less accurate than what what shapes animals that are designed to use sonar can get. Right. So if they, so if we sent down a probe, we might find, look at this and go, oh, look at that. It's, it's not at all, um, an impact, um, you know, it, that's not what it is at all. It's a reef or something, or it's just rock, you know, that 
in this area, just interesting ge- geology. I mean, that's it can be just interesting geology. Right. Yep. And is likely to be just interesting geology. But, you know, I'm just looking at it going, if there is this kind of an impact track, it would have had to have hit the water very, very hard at a very, very sharp angle. And things just don't do that going through salt water. Water in general, a big body of water like that, will, I mean, that's quite a bit of force. How deep is it? Yeah. I think it just said 285 feet. Is that Which I'm not a big diver, but that doesn't feet. sound that's not very that deep. deep. Yeah, that's not that deep. But still, uh, to make that kind of an impact path, I think Mac is right. It would, have, it would have been going really quickly. And why did it end up in one piece? Well, I would track that impact path back and find out what was in the way of it. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of stuff. But like I said, this is sort of a lot of the flaws in some of the thinking people that jump to certain conclusions just because they can't explain things. Right. And this article seemed to me be filled with them. So. All right. So let's find out why it's important for us to talk about religion. Why is what not a waste of time to argue about religion? Okay. Well, okay. Um, put this article in from my, my blog, Greta Christina. I don't know if you've um, gotten to check out some of her other stuff, but she's a really great writer. And um, she did a, she apparently did a talk at the Secular Student Alliance on why, uh, I love the title, Resistance is Not, Why Arguing About Religion is Not a Waste of Time. Um, and I think it's one of those ones that is a, uh, you hear it a lot. You know, you hear people say there's no sense in arguing about religion. You're never going to change anybody's mind. And I hear that, that and I kind of am like, yeah, I guess maybe it is kind of a waste of, of, of everyone's time. You know, it's a waste of, of arguing and, and you're never going to convince anybody. And she just put a little, um, what do you call it, an outline of, of what her talk was about. Um, you know, and just opened it up. Is arguing about religion a waste of time? And her answer is no. Um, you know, and she kind of goes into a couple of points about how how a lot of people are convinced through this that it um, it does have an effect. And I just found it really interesting. Just just some of the things, and I I just wanted to kind of open. Up. Nope, we lost you, Kim. Things like a, Kim. Oh, we lost you. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay, sorry about that. Rising um, I don't know where you might have lost me there, Evan. That's okay. You know, people people can go and, and read that. It, it's fine. I, I thought, you know, I, I agree with her because I, I think that what we're doing is the same thing. We're, you know, what? How is how is um, you know, going asking questions um, with a bunch of believers to a to a hypnotherapist going to make any difference? Uh, it's the same kind of thing. We, uh, our job is to 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 put a little doubt out there and to get people to think about things. And if we don't do that, things run rampant. And they run, and they'll run away if nobody is saying, "Hey, wait, we need to look at this and evaluate it," and being willing to have arguments about it. And I thought the other point that she made that was very valid was, "That's fine if you don't want to do it, but get out of my way so I can." Don't you? Don't try to stop me from having this discussion just because you don't want to, and you don't, and you don't think it's the way to do it. That's fine. You don't have to. And I, I like right. that point as well. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion in the atheist community about, you know, how it's supposed to be done. And I think one of the points here is that there's lots of ways. Right. So I also like the fact that she talks about you're probably not going to end a discussion about religion with converting somebody, but you may have planted seed. 
And that's, yeah, that's the thing. Just putting some doubt out there, planting some seeds. And that's what we're doing as skeptics when we go out and, and we do any sort of active activism. Um, you know, when we're out asking questions, we're, we're just putting a little doubt out there. And hopefully somebody will hear that and think, hmm, maybe I do need to look into this more. Maybe I should think about it a little bit more. And if we, and if that's happening, you know, we're, we get, you know, we're having successes. Right. Time-wise, what do we want to still cover? Um, in, uh, we're we're going to skip, we're going to, we'll skip mine, and uh, so you you get to do one, and then we're done. I'll do the Slaughterhouse-Five one, because you know me, I, I love going on about... Um, um, book banning? Yeah, the book banning. Oh, I see another one, this one you guys put in late that I didn't see. This, this one, to me, is one of those perfect twist ones that okay. I, I love. So, okay, this next story... A school bans um, Vonnet's Slaughterhouse Five. Bonnet. So Vonnet, okay, Vonnet, the Vonnet Library gives free copies to the students from that school. Yeah, this was awesome. Yeah, uh, this, this is the kind of stuff you like to see because this is, you know, the, the creative side fighting back, saying, "Listen, we're not going to put up with you banning um, this stuff." It, so um, the basic story is. Uh, the school board of Republic High School in Missouri decided that Slaughterhouse Five um should not be read by kids because um the intense stuff in it. I, I personally have never read it. Now, I'll, I'll, whenever I hear of a book being banned, it's like okay, I gotta go hunt that one down and find out you know what exactly. it's so big of a deal about. But um, it it uh, in reply, the um Vonnegut Library it has set up so that any of the kids that or from that school, can send in and be given a free copy of the book, as long as they can prove they're from the school. And, um, it, oh, okay, here's why it was banned. The book contains so much profane language it would make a sailor blush with shame. The F word is plastered on almost every other page. The content ranges from naked men and women in cages together so that others can watch them having sex to God telling people that they better not mess with his loser bum of a son named Jesus Christ. Wow, this sounds like so my kind of book. <laughs> that was like, wow, that's intriguing. But that's the reason why it was banned. You so, know, it didn't, if I'm correct, and if this is a story I'm thinking about, they got the books from Random House. Random House gave them the books. They went to the publisher and said, listen, this is what they're doing. We want to, you know, we want to give these books out. Can you, can you help us out? And I think that Random House gave them the books. Is Was that in Yeah, they have 100 copies of what it says. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say that. Random doesn't say. House. I think it's Random House. Okay, but yeah, they have 150 copies to give out to students that can prove they're actual students of the school. That's that's awesome. And it, to me, it's the great counter protest, saying, "Okay, <laughs> we're still going to um get them and make sure they have access to new ideas. We're not going to let you shut their minds down and tell them that they have to be on the straight and narrow, just what you want them to be exposed to." Nice. Yeah, and it's it's nice too. It's it's part of the the new um, the the way we can access kids. Um, I you know I'm also involved in the It Gets Better project, which is directed at gay kids. You know there was a rash of suicides last year from gay kids. They're more like uh, they're at a higher risk of suicide than your average high school kid. And right. somebody was bemoaning the fact that you know we're never going to get invited to schools to talk to these kids to tell them you know hey. Don't don't take your own life. It's going to get a lot better out there. And the realization was, in this day and age, we don't need to wait to get invited in. 
we have the resources to reach these kids directly. And this is another one of those kind of things. You know what, school? You go ahead and ban all day. We will make sure these kids who are interested have access to the copies. And you know what you can do about it? You can suck on it. <laughs> it's done. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've never, I've never actually read Slaughterhouse-Five. I've read... Other Vonnegut, I've read uh, The Sirens of Titan, and, and Vonnegut is, he satirizes society is what he does. He's, um, you know, he's he's always been a satirist, and a lot of, I think, I wonder if it's not so much the language in the book as the subject matter and the fact that certain things are things that they do not want satirized. Right. Interesting. Yeah. He's always been a controversial author, and I, I mean, that's what literature is supposed to be about, is to challenge you, and, you know, I, I, again, we kind of keep going around in circles on these podcasts, right? Everything is related to this. People should be asking questions. People should have ideas thrown in front of them that conflict with their beliefs, and they have to look at, and then look at evidence, and compare it, and make their own decisions. That, that's what education and, and life are all about. It's amazing to me that so many people spend so much time doing everything they can to shut that down. Yeah. It's unreal. This, though, is why I'm in favor of banning books. Because it brings attention to them. Yeah. yeah. We should have a list of other books that we want banned. <laughs> yeah, there is nothing that will, will promote sales better than a banning book. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look at the publicity. I've heard about this several places now. You know, they and, and if every one of these kids gets a free copy of this book and actually reads it, that's a success. Right? Yeah, just one. Yeah. yeah, 150 kids reading a book that they might not have ever touched otherwise. That's a, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, and this and, and the it, other... it really does it. It gives them incentive too, right? Because right. if your parents don't want you to do it, then what could be better than doing it? Well, exactly. That's why you know it's like, oh, that book is banned. Everybody will be talking about it. It's excellent. I don't know. Um, there's an interview um, with Kurt Vonnegut at Audible. It's a free interview. It's a 10 minute interview I wonder that, that would probably be interesting uh, I think that that's it for us tonight I think that uh, we have covered everything we need to say goodnight everybody goodnight everybody alright All right. Good thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast for more information about the Amateur Skeptics go to AmateurSkeptics.com to send us feedback suggestions or big flaming insults feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to MySpace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 License. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 